0: Comic-Con San Diego 2020 news, including tons of talk on the Wakanda Forever trailer, the She-Hulk trailer, all of the new comics announced at the cons panels, the MCU, the DCEU, all of the trailers... We're even gonna talk the complete Eisner Awards, which take place at Comic-Con as well. This is episode 73 of Sensational She Geek, live from Nancy Street, and we have a lot to cover today. Clearly there's a couple of things that I am more excited about, but everything in here is gonna be really fun. We are going to start, as usual, with the regular news stuff that is not directly connected to Comic-Con, and that does, unfortunately, include news of the passing of the late, great Alan Grant of Drudge Dread and Batman fame. We're going to talk about the Godzilla Apple TV show, the Blue Beetle movie, the Powerpuff Girl show, the, I guess, just, you would just say for the rest of that, just a lot of the Marvel feature the MCU stuff, including all of those trademarks that they put down just before Comic Con, and what the ones that we don't know about are going to mean. Uh, we still have comic book picks for the week. These were things that came out the week of the 20th. Pick of the week is probably actually going to be Grimm number three, but I also really loved Artemis Wanted, which was a one shot, and Seven Sons number two. We have a lot of comic book polls this week. Again, it is a fantastic era for indie comic. I say it every week and it just becomes more and more clear every week that comics come out. And then, of course, after that, we will get into the Comic Con rundown. We're going to be talking comic book updates because, yes, this does all actually originate in comic books Uh, so they do actually talk about comic books themselves and not just comic book media like tv shows and all of that so they do actually have some comic book updates uh one of which i am particularly excited about the return of jonathan hickman to marvel comics Uh, i'm already getting away from myself with how excited i am about that we obviously are going to talk trailers. We have DCEU, the MCU, um, and then add some animation stuff, I guess, and uh, Star Trek, and then other action, adventure, and fantasy things that are pretty fun. Um, all of the MCU updates, including the phase four finale and the phase five schedule, what we've seen at the phase six schedule, and all of the updates for the next phase and a half-ish, basically, of stuff, um, well, really, through... Yeah, yeah, really through Phase 5, the updates they gave for all of those projects. We have some minor stuff on games and toys, and then a few other fun announcements that were made at Comic-Con as well. Also at Comic-Con, they have the Eisner Awards. The Eisner Awards are, like, the Oscars, pretty much as close as you're going to get to it, for comic books, um so this is going to be actually in there it's it's getting a lot into like graphic novels and manga and stuff too so we actually see a little bit of that in this list but we'll cover all of the winners of the eisner's 2022 congratulations to all of them and then we'll wrap up the episode with a little bit of a brief preview on the october big two solicitation highlights i'm going to have the entire october list of comics coming from marvel and dc in it's going to be on my website which you will find that link in the description below but I'm going to cover just some of the most exciting things in a little highlight at the end of the episode Um, and if you want to hear or see about more of what's coming for comic books in October from Marvel and DC you can find that again linked in the description to my website If you are new here, welcome! You can find the community most easily on the Yancey Street Discord. There is a fresh invite link to the Discord at the bottom of each episode. It's just a place for like-minded folks, for general chatting and whatnot. It doesn't always have to be about comics or nerd stuff you can just talk about your life for all i care um you can find me most easily on social media on instagram my username is anna with the comics because my name is anna and you will see i do have the comics my podcast updates are usually posted on twitter you can find that there at savage she geek my podcast up. uh episodes are normally posted on Mondays or Tuesdays depending on about how much happens over the weekend that I have to cover usually is how that ends up going. You can also find my website it is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com I have been working on fixing up the site quite a bit so that it is still relevant in addition to the podcast. It does include now both a beginner's guide to manga and comics which hopefully covers any information that you might need to take your first steps into the world of comics or manga, including recommendations on graphic novels, manga, comics, um, and things of various genres. You can find reading orders of various leading ladies, including Clea, Madeline Pryor, Magic, uh, I'm working on She-Hulks right now. A lot of those are being transitioned more or less into what I'm calling Yancey Street specials. Once a month I come out with special edition podcasts focusing on a certain character or topic in the comics industry. In fact, Clea, Madeline, and Magic have all been uh, given their own Yancey Street special episodes, which you can go ahead and find on my podcast backlog or through my website. They're listed there in their own category as well. I've also done uh, one on Patsy Walker on toxic romance in comics. The July special is not out yet, but I'm very excited that the August special is going to be covering Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk in preparation for her upcoming Disney Plus show premiering this August. Back to my blog, anything pre-2021 that you would like to find a reference on the blog, you can find uh, not on the podcast, but as written material. I started the podcast in February 2021, so if there is anything comic related you would like to find opinions or writing on, it will all be on the blog itself. You can find my pod notes also on the blog, which are just the podcast notes that I take through the week to follow along with while I record the podcast to make sure that I don't miss anything. Uh, It's there provided for you for reading the podcast instead of listening to it and for those of course who are hearing impaired if they would like to keep up with the events of the show as well. Uh, You can find links on my website to everywhere that you can listen to this podcast which does include most if not all podcast hosting apps. If you know one that I'm not on please let me know and I will get on. The episodes are also posted on YouTube in a single playlist in case that is an easier format for you to listen from. There's nothing additional in the videos it's just the little audio signature um i also post action figure review videos on youtube it's been a lot more imports recently sh figure arts and things Uh, as I've pretty much given up on Hasbro's Marvel Legends line with a few exceptions. Uh, But I have a really big backlog of Legends videos in case you're interested there. And that does include the HasLab Sentinel, which arrived last year. And it will be including this year's HasLab, the Galactus figure who will be arriving, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. I do have a podcast patron. You, Patreon, you can find it there under Sensational she Geek. It's set up for donations to support the podcast. However, I also have the Kofi, which is um, the whole concept being by a creator who you follow a cup of coffee. Uh, as well as Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal, which I think are pretty self-explanatory <laughs> on my link tree. And that goes for donations towards the podcast uh, because I do work a day job in addition to running the podcast and any amount of money that gets sent towards the podcast gets put into things like making the podcast better, more accessible, and hopefully in the near future, it will be going towards adding a store to my website and blog, which I will hopefully be making its own donate main don't yeah, do name main name <laughs> before too long here. Um, and we can get things to be sold because I do have a Redbubble store right now. For now you can find it under she Geek shop, but it is my plan to have my own shop that I sell from my house. Uh, maybe someday a storefront, that's a long time in the future. But for now you can find things under the Redbubble Sh- she Geek shop and uh, with any other purchases and donations The money will be going towards setting up my own official shop on my own website so that we can have an actual she-geek shop. Before we get started with the news here, the only really personal note that I have for my own news for the week, um, I've been watching Moonhaven, which has a number of episodes under its belt now. Really really cool. It's basically you know, some futuristic story where the moon is more or less colonized, which when you think about the science of how that would work it's, it gets pretty wild um if you're into like space stuff at all you will love the sequences that you see of this little society on the moon and like the borders of it um and how it goes from no atmosphere to atmosphere uh it, it's really really cool how they how they do this but anyway moonhaven Really cool. Check it out. Uh, Let's get started with the rest of the news here, which unfortunately does start with news of the passing of legendary comic creator Alan Grant. He was 73 years old. Now, I found a fantastic um, obituary sort of situation on actually cbr.com, which is not something that we love to credit (laughs) here, but um, it's a lot of clickbait stuff. But Alan Grant does deserve... A really good obituary and some great credits here so we're gonna I'm gonna go through this is written by Jason bat um, and it is a very well written memorial to Alan Grant it starts off by noting that grant has a decades-long career especially in the 80s and 90s at DC Comics his discovery of the talent of Alan Moore Um, and his impact on the industry. He was born in Bristol and grew up in Scotland. He entered the industry as far back as 1967 on 2000 AD, which was a publication that he wrote for through the 90s. Here they note that Grant, pub- he worked for most publishers in the across the world and his biggest contribution to the industry, they say, will likely be his curation and encouragement of new talent. Grant's eye for new talent was remarkable. It was Grant who found, at the time, unknown writer Alan Moore's first script in a slush pile at 2000 AD. Grant penned more a personal letter encouraging the young writer at the time. He goes on from there, but... Long story short, the rest is history. Alan Moore himself has done remarkable things for comics. That would not have happened if it is not for Alan Grant. In the early 90s, Grant had runs on DC comic Batman titles. They note especially, particularly, Batman Shadow of the Bat, where he wrote 82 issues of that series alone, creating the notable Batman villains Jeremiah Arkham. Victor Zaz and the two-man show of Ventriloquist. He also spent a lot of time working on Lobo titles. The writer of this memorial also writes, for years, Grant's writing partner was John Wagner, the creator of Judge Dredd. I'm a big fan of Judge Dredd. The two were old friends and shared a farmhouse in Essex. Together, the two would join the, quote, British invasion of American comics in the 1980s, first writing the 12-issue series Outcasts for DC Comics. After a break in their partnership over the direction of the Marvel series The Last American, the two would later team up for a series of Batman slash Drudge Dread crossovers. I actually own a number of those crossovers. They are remarkably fun, remarkably of the era, and decidedly British. Um, The British invasion, I know, is a big term that is used for music in an earlier era. It is also a term that is used for comic books in the 80s, as this writer noted, where we got phenomenal creators such as... Uh, It says here John Wagner and, of course, Alan Grant, who came into the American comic book industry bringing sometimes their British titles with them and making big footholds for those characters and those titles in American audiences. This memorial wraps up with a few quotes from contributors in the industry, including Tom King. He says, horribly saddened to hear the passing of Alan Grant. Lobo, Legion, Batman, these books questioned what superhero comics could be and do. They were sharply, coolly, cynical, and yet oddly and wonderfully, they contained a powerful, warm undercurrent of hope. Hell of a writer, R.I.P. Also, Grant's original publisher, 2000AD, wrote, Grant was one of his generation's finest writers, combining a sharp eye for dialogue and political satire with a deep empathy that made his character seem incredibly human and rounded. Through his work, he had a profound and enduring influence on 2000AD and the comics industry. If you are interested in reading this article, again by Jason Batt, uh, it's from CBR.com and I will have it linked in the description below. If you have any stories about Alan Grant, I would love to hear them. The only non Comic Con trailer that I am going to talk about this week, well, really, that came out this past week, um, was the House of the Dragon trailer. It actually premiered prior to Comic Con. In what I think is technically a preview, kind of to get ready for the Comic Con panel, kind of release of a trailer, but that's okay. We're just gonna we're we're just gonna call it a standard trailer. Um, I should note though that I do not read the Song of Ice and Fire books. Um, <laughs> I tried. I, George R R Martin's writing style is not for me, <laughs> but I am healthily, safely interested in not a weird way in the world that he creates. Some people get super into it, but that's coming from me. So what can I actually say about that? (laughs) Um, This looks really cool. The trailer looks awesome. I don't have a lot of details that I've pulled out for you because honestly, um, I feel like it's been beat to death and it's such a kind of new thing. I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like it would, there was much of a point of me, um, doing a big breakdown of it. I'm not super passionate about Game of Thrones. It definitely left a horribly bad taste in my mouth after the show ended. But hopefully this one will be a little bit of a fix on that. As I understand this to be the Targaryen king, as it is in the time, the time period that this takes place, um, he has a choice to make, basically either leave the kingdom when he dies to his daughter or to his brother, who everybody pretty much understands it's going to be the brother because queens do not rule alone. Nobody's, no female sits on the Iron Throne, I think is what their whole thing that they say in the trailer is. Um, obviously, you know, in case, in, unless they say something completely insane about her character, I'm obviously going to be team Reyna. I think it's Reyna or is it Rainera? Um... The pronunciations I'll have to figure out as we go on. But it's basically, we're going to say Reyna is what her name is, and it's her versus her uncle Damon, um, which is actually spelled, I think, D-A-E-M-O-N, who was also played by Matt Smith of uh, Doctor Who, Legacy, and also some other things. So Matt Smith is really in his kind of career renaissance now. Good for him. I think he'll do an excellent job of pulling off kind of a sadistic... Uh, Uncle Wannabe King character here. We'll kind of have to see. Hopefully I'm just I, I understand that George R. R. Martin likes to write about things like, you know, uh incest and all that stuff because it's, you know, medieval and all that. Uh you know, 14 year old marrying a 50 year old. it's I, I would rather not that be in the show too much. It probably will be, but it will definitely turn me away from watching it with too much interest. Um, But it comes out August 21st, I hope that it doesn't leave the terrible taste in our mouth that the last series did, uh, because there is a lot of future Game of Thrones projects that are going to be coming out in the next couple of years. So (laughs) I hope that they're better. Let's just go with that, I hope that they are better. Sony is still working on their Monsterverse projects over at Apple TV+, Plus, or is it Apple Plus TV? I'm genuinely not sure. I think it's Apple TV Plus. That feels like it's right. Uh, We have Godzilla, specifically the MonsterVerse Godzilla and the Titans TV series. News for the series today or this week was that Kurt Russell and his son Wyatt Russell are going to be cast as the leads in the Godzilla and the Titans series. Wyatt Russell, you may recognize from um, being well, he will be Nomad, which will be relevant in a second here, but um, he was he he tried to be Captain America very briefly in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. uh, U.S. Oh, not Nomad, but uh, U.S. Agent. I mix them up all the time. U.S. Agent. Is the one that he is uh, from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We love to hate him. He did a great job with that character. Apparently he was also in the TV roles Under the Banner of Heaven and The Good Lord Bird as well as Lodge 49. I honestly can't say I've heard of those last two. His good old dad though, Kurt Russell, has not been on a regular TV series. He's not had a role in a regular TV series since the short-lived 1976 NBC drama titled the quest. I have no information on it besides that it was very short lived. Previously announced stars in the Godzilla and the Titan series are going to include Anna Sawai, Ren Watabi, I'm sorry I'm probably butchering these names, Kiersey Clemens, Joe Tippett, and Eliza Lasowski. The story is going to be about one family's journey to uncover its buried secrets and a legacy that links them to the secret organization known as Monarch, which we know from previous Godzilla movies and, you know, previous media in the past. Monarch is the, you know, somewhat evil organization that kind of... I'll just go with pits them together for right now because they're probably going to end up changing it anyway. And by them, I mean the monsters. Also, Emmy Award-nominated director Matthew Shackman from *Wandavision*. Oh, wow. WandaVision. I can't speak. will direct the first two episodes of the Godzilla and the Titan series, as well as serving as the executive producer. It's also going to be executive produced by co-creator Chris Black, who serves as a showrunner alongside Matt Fraction, who you will recognize from comics, comic books is what we're talking here. Uh, Famously, Sex Criminals, Hawkeye. Um, I think he did something about... Uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen that got a bunch of awards recently, so uh, Matt Fraction, solid writer. In DC Comics news, the Blue Beetle movie has finished wrapping as of the 19th of July. The Blue Beetle movie does come from the Blue Beetle comics over at DC Comics. We're talking Jaime Reyes, who is going to be portrayed in the movie by Zolo Maraduena, uh, who I guess was and Cobra Kai, which I did not see. Um, in the movie, he is a teenager who is going to be given unique abilities through a blue beetle scarab that allows him to summon a super-powered suit, although plot details are still being kept under wraps. It's expected the movie will do a deep dive into the origin story of Jaime Reyes and potential, potentially tackle the mystery, mystery surrounding the powerful scarab. It's gonna be directed by Angel Manuel Soto, premiering in The theater in 2023. It was going to be an HBO Max premiere originally, but they have moved that to theatrical. Uh, There's also a new image released of his suit, I believe, by one of the crew members of the movie. People are comparing his suit to Iron Man's suit, which I don't actually understand. It is clearly not made of metal, so I'm not really sure what they're getting that from. It looks more like alien material like a hard alien material combined with like a softer rubber-like again alien material. Also uh, this is coming late I believe it is late 2023 so considering that this release for this movie is over a year away it does seem to allow the cast and crew ample time for post-production and inevitable reshoots which makes sense because the uh multiversal placement of this movie, so to say, um, among the greater DCEU is not particularly clarified yet. So I can see them wanting to make room for adjustments to kind of solidify where, if anywhere in the big multiversal DCEU of things, this is going to connect. We have a new reboot of Powerpuff Girls that has also been announced. Cartoon Network and Warner Brothers have announced this in development at hanna barbera Studios Europe, which is the original creator of the show. The show did originally debut on Cartoon Network in 1998 and ran for 78 episodes until 2005. It stars Supergirls, Blossom, Bubbles, and Buttercup as they face off against supervillains while also dealing with the issues young children face while growing up. Apparently, in 2016, it was rebooted by Cartoon Network, airing 119 episodes over three seasons, and there was going to be a live-action Powerpuff Girls CW series, but that has yet to see the light of day. The live-action version has faced a number of development issues, including reshooting the pilot after negative feedback and losing the actor who was set to play Blossom. I will wait to get more info on that show if we ever see signs that it is actually happening. As for my own personal connection with the Powerpuff Girls, I was raised on PBS Kids, so I did not watch Cartoon Network as a kid, but all my friends did, so I was perfectly aware of everything going on in Powerpuff Girls. I think I had a friend who even had a Powerpuff Girl-themed birthday party. That was probably first or second grade maybe I would say probably first grade feels like that's probably an accurate timeline and then they just kind of faded out of existence at some point um but I remember hearing about the CW show and then it just kind of again faded out of existence and now we're getting a new I believe it must be Cartoon Network version um I imagine at some point down the road it will be on HBO Max as most of the Warner Brothers stuff does end up being there I have absolutely no expectations for this, although I will say it would be a lot of fun if it would be something that would be enjoyable to all age audiences, I guess. The last bits of news that I'd like to discuss this week include mostly Marvel stuff, um, and we're going to touch on what what the, the, the title, The Mutants, might be or mean uh, in just a second here. But first... We have a few Marvel titles that have been trademarked by Marvel Disney. Um, some of these we know exactly what they're gonna be for and some of these we don't. So the first chunk um, is pretty clear here. We had Avengers Secret Wars, The King Dynasty, Captain America New World Order, Thunderbolts and Multiverse Saga. That were, Those were all trademarked about a day before Comic-Con. For obvious reasons, they want to trademark those names before they announce that those are going to be the titles because you know that there's somebody out there who's going to trademark it and then make Marvel pay them millions of dollars for that trademark. So trying to avoid that, they do have to spoil it very slightly by uh, trademarking the names of future projects before they announce them because that is all public record. again we'll talk about these when we get into the comic con stuff but that chunk of five secret wars king dynasty new world order thunderbolts and multiverse saga are all future uh marvel mcu projects with that in mind the remaining five we pretty much have to assume are also going to be phase six projects Um, we've talked about phase five and an extent of phase six Actually, I guess it would be phase six and phase seven, wouldn't it? Um, We have an extent, we have all of phase five, an extent of phase six. Again, we'll talk about that when we get to the Comic-Con news. Um, So these either have to fit into phase six or beyond, which would be of course, phase seven, assuming we're still doing these phases. It feels kind of lame to be saying the phase thing these days, it's been so long, but it is what it is. Um, But the ones that have been trademarked uh that we don't know where they're gonna be in the mcu yet we have avengers eternity wars captain america red white and black nomad celestials end of time and avengers academy Um, obviously avengers academy is pretty obvious actually i think most of these are pretty clear we have two avengers movies we have um Captain America, Red, White, and Black, and Nomad are probably going to be in the same project. And then Avengers Academy is most likely going to be whatever their first young Avengers project is going to be because they have yet to announce... It's obviously coming, some kind of Young Avengers-style project, but they have yet to actually announce that yet. So Avengers Academy is the first, the very first thing that we've seen to kind of teasing a Young Avengers situation. So odds are we might actually see Avengers Academy being some kind of training facility before we get an official Young Avengers team of any sort. Now, I do have to talk about the mutants, and what I'm talking about is the rumored Marvel project titled, I should say, MCU project titled The Mutants. Now, uh, this was something that was brought up pre-San Diego Comic Con by deadline, uh, to my very much surprise, uh, because it is not a thing. Now, let me explain the context of all of this. The rumor... um The project, The Mutants Project Rumor, originated from a completely random website that gave no solid sources of any kind, and it was never followed up by on them, sorry, followed up on by them, or Marvel, or anyone who was actually in the business. It was never addressed, period, by anybody besides people jumping onto the rumor. Now. The reason it was brought up again pre-Comic-Con was some Deadline article wrote uh, what to expect at Comic-Con and included a list of Marvel titles for projects that we haven't heard anything about yet, and for some reason they included The Mutants among that. Again, That was a rumor that came from one site with no sources and was never followed up on. I'm not sure why this Deadline article writer added it to their list, but people saw it in there and took it for fact because Deadline is usually a lot better about their fact checking. Clearly though, this article was an exception. There has been zero mention of anything titled The Mutants for all of Marvel even though we have all of these trademarks that have been going in, and now in the post-Ms. Marvel era, we have confirmation that they are on their way. So there's no reason to think that that is a thing, especially now post-Comic-Con, when they did not mention it. So The Mutants, you know, unless something big happens at Disney+, Plus, it's not a project that was a poorly put out rumor. Now for the comic book picks. These are things that came out the week of July 20th and I'm going to talk Grimm number three, Seven Sons number two, Artemis Wanted number one, She-Hulk number five, and extremely briefly, Axe, or AXE, I'm not sure how they're saying it, Judgment Day. So starting off with Grimm, this is from Image Comics by Stephanie Williams and I Sorry, Stephanie Phillips, (laughs) and I really, really love it. In this issue, we'll kind of run down the events. The head of the Reapers, remember her name is Adira, turns out she was a Sumerian goddess who was summoned around 500 BCE for context. That is 200 years before Alexander the Great's era. She made the first Reapers from those who summoned her, and now, The End, who is a deity who is not death, this is a different entity altogether. The End has come to her realm of the dead to balance scales, saying Jessica Harrow must be dealt with for having passed from living to dead and back and forth or something like that, having flopped between the two. Meanwhile, Jessica, Eddie, and the other guy are in a void prison. Apparently the woman dying in childbirth we saw in the last issue was not Jessica, giving birth uh, and dying, it was Jessica's birth, uh, which was adding a lot to the mystery because they were supposed to be seeing her death. Then we have, of course, the deity, The End, bursts through, killing a bunch of reapers and grabbing Jessica. But then we have this character, of Vincenzo, who uses his hourglass to capture The End, explaining that it is the job of The End to keep the balance of the living and the dead. He tells them he works for Death, not Adira, and Death is missing. They decide maybe Death does not want to be found, and since Adira benefits from his disappearance, they should look more closely at her. In Death's throne room, there is his original scythe. It only activates for Death, but when Jessica picks it up, activates it does in a bright burning yellow. It's then that the end returns and Vincenzo tells them to go while he distracts it, and of course it ends up killing him. And in the epilogue, we see that Death, who is missing, is in Vegas, which honestly is not very surprising. Seven Sons number two was absolutely fantastic. I didn't take too many notes while reading it, but it was entirely a flashback issue, showing some of the time when there were only three of the Seven Sons left. We also had a little bit of the uh, time just prior to their birth and just post their birth where we see kind of uh, their conception, sort of more or less, and kind of begin to see the discovery of them being identical twins born from different parents. Um, Again, this is a (laughs) remarkable concept. Um, I'm super duper into this series. I'm having a little bit of trouble, I have to admit, keeping the names of the seven straight. Um, But I imagine by the next two issues or so I will have that figured out. Artemis Wanted was a one-shot from DC by Vita Ayala with art by Skylar Patridge and colors by Romulo Fajardo Jr. And it was immediately good. Um, that's something that Vita Yawa is really, really good at. They're great at writing stories that start off very, in a, in a gripping way. So this was immediately good, um, but more than that, the art was completely stupendous. I love how the artists portrayed the Amazons, and by Amazons, I'm talking Artemis and Donna as large. Very large women in comparison to others, but also in comparison to Cassie, who, even though she's the daughter of Zeus, is not as big as the other Amazons. Um, And in the end of the issue, it turns out what I more or less theorized was right. Hippolyta's death turned her into a true goddess of her own right, one for the Amazons themselves, and her first steward is going to be Artemis, of course. She-Hulk number 5, uh, pretty simply we have Jack of Hearts attacked by some big Brutus guy who is rescued more or less and taken off with by some woman. Later, Jen follows them to a park um, in her Jen form as disguise, I guess, and learns that he is usually a harmless guy and the woman is actually his wife. Um, for whatever reason, the woman's head is drawn in a very anime style. I'm not particularly sure why she looks different than other characters, but I guess it'll be important going forward. I'm not really sure why else we would have had this moment to observe them. Um, and then we're just left with Judgment Day. Axe, Judgment Day, AXE, Judgment Day. Wasn't into it. <laughs> Karen Gillan, I'm very surprised, is dropping the ball on this one in terms of interest. It's just not very interesting. And that's all I got. Moving on to comic book polls. These are polls for the week of the 27th. Um, I'm going to have a number, uh, quite a few number ones and really interesting issues that I will read the solicitations for. Uh, But for some of the other ones like Harley Quinn, which is on number 17, uh, we will not be reading the solicitation for. So starting off with the number ones and going up from there. Uh, we have from dynamite comics vampirella year one now if you read or didn't read the vampirella dracula unholy series this one doesn't pick up after it but it is the next vampirella project for christopher priest who started writing her series i believe in 2019 wrote 25 issues and then he's also got all these spin-offs he had seven um seven, no, six, seven sins no whatever whatever the spinoff was (laughs) he's had several spinoffs but um in case you didn't know uh, the vampirella dracula unholy series does actually end with the announcement that vampirella is preggers she is pergunto i don't know if that's even a word uh she's pregnant um so what it says for the solicitation for this issue of this new series Following the explosive conclusion to Vampirella Dracula Unholy comes the next chapter in Christopher Priest's Vampirella saga. Wanted for murder and with every demon, shaman, vampire, whack job zealot, reporter, and law enforcement officer on earth hunting for her, Vampirella has taken refuge in an undisclosed location where she questions why she came to our world in the first place. Christopher Priest is the writer here, and we have art by Giovanni P. Timpano as well as Ergon Gundas, who is uh, more or less always alongside Priest's Vampirella Projects. There's a lot of covers with this. Dynamite does not skimp on the number one covers when they have a new series, so... We've got Colette Turner, who has a standard cover, a 1 of 30 black and white variant, as well as a metallic version. Lucio Perillo, who I think is legally required to make covers for every dynamite project. Uh, they have a standard one, a 1 of 20, and an ultraviolet cover. Derek Chu has a standard 1 of 50. Guillaume March has a 1 of 40. There is a cosplay variant with a 1 of 25 Virgin option. Uh, three different blank variants of different colors, I believe they are white black and red kevin nolan has a one of 10 pencil cover joseph michael lisner has a one of 10 and one of 25 there is a jay lee giovanni timpano and eric gunduz they each have their own foc covers john mccrea does a the boys homage uh, we have exclusives from Tula Lote and Zoe Thoroughgood, And then more covers from Ivan Tower, Jay Ferguson, John Vasquez, Justine Florentino, Melanie Custavas—or sorry, Kutavas, Mike Choi, Mike Chrome, Nathan Sertzi, and Piper Rootage. I told you they do not skimp with the variants for their series kickoffs. The Hollow's number one comes from Image Comics and would appear to be a reprint of a four issue comic series that went from 2012 to 2013, but from IDW. It's by Chris Ryle and Sam Keith. In this specially priced extra length comment, comic artist sam keith and writer chris ryle transport you to a dystopian near future japan where spectral once human husks prey on the unfortunates who couldn't find salvation in the skyscraper like trees that now dominate the decimated landscape as discredited scientists work, as grist gr- <laughs> as discredited scientists works furiously to find a cure until a one-eyed orphan girl and her pet uh erp force i don't know what that even says Force him, uh, urp I guess the pet is Erp. force him to rethink everything he knows. That was kind of a confusing little solicit, but it is apparently a reprint of a four-issue series. Surfer Wells number one comes from Blood Moon Comics by Otis Crane, with art by Sarah Stella Scalia. Around the rim of a large man-made lake resides a rural community. The lake prov- has provided the community with commerce and recreation, but it has also taken. While two young friends navigate the waterways and the complications of southern poverty, they also must remain vigilant of an elusive local cryptid species. Sounds spooky, and I like it. Ninja Kaiden, number one, comes from Black Box Comics by Eric Paliki and uh, Lucas Mayer. Not even a lifetime of martial arts training and years of an elite soldier could as an elite soldier could prepare Yuki Snow for this newest challenge, CEO of his deceased father's company. Suddenly thrust into a leadership role at Yokai Consolidated, Yuki finds himself taking over his father's pet project, the mysterious Kaiden armor, which would allow its wearer to see, speak to, and touch ghosts. That sounds awesome and a little bit spooky as well. Superman Space Age number 1 is coming out every other month from DC by Mark Russell with color with the art by Michael Allred and colors by Laura Allred After years of standing idle, the young man from Krypton defies the wishes of his fathers to come out to the world as the first superhero of the space age. As each decade passes and each new danger emerges, he wonders if this is the one that will kill him and everyone he loves. Superman realizes that even with good intentions are not without their backlash as the world around him transforms into a place as determined to destroy itself as he is to save it. This one has covers by Mike and Laura Allred, Steve Rude, Nick Darrington, one of 25, and an Allred, one of 50 design variant. From Marvel, there is Genus Vell, Captain Marvel number one, which I believe is of five or possibly six. This is by Peter David and on Ramirez. Peter David returns to Genus Vell, son of the original Captain Marvel. Both now back in the land of the living, Genus Bell and Rick Jones are about to come crashing back into each other. Witness Genus Bell, Captain Marvel, return to the pages of his very own series written by legendary scribe Peter David, drawn by artist on Cam- Ramirez. Can Rick Jones save Genus and himself before they both fade out of existence? Is Rick's ex-wife Marlo the key? Find out when Peter David returns to take Genus Bell to all new heights. Uh, for this one, we have variants by Tarin Clark, Juan Cabal, Juni Ba, Dan Juergens, Peach Romoko, and Mike McCone. More fantastic indies. Public Domain Number 2 is by Chips Artsky and Chips Artsky with Chips um, And it is by, uh, it, he posted it originally, it was from Substack, uh, which was digital publication, and now it is being printed through Image Comics. After Last Issue's bombshell revelation, the Dallas brothers return to the one person who can save them, Sammy Sockham. Note to speculators, this is the first appearance of Sammy Sockham. The presumably hit series by Chip Zdarsky continues. As Chip is also, that's a good point, he's also writing Batman right now. Uh, I've already mentioned him previously, I mentioned Sex Criminals um, and a few other things. But Chip is fantastic, uh, and I can't recommend this one enough. Honestly, the first issue, it, 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 it was immediately incredible. It grabs you, and I, I just loved it. Sins of the Black Flamingo number 2 is also from Image Comics. This one by Andrew Wheeler, with art by Travis Moore, and colors by Tamra Bombillin. Sebastian Harlow has discovered a supernatural treasure so insanely valuable that it changes everything he knows about life itself. Naturally, he stole it. Now Miami's richest man wants his property back and the black flamingo dead. So Harlow must turn to the swamp magic of old Florida to protect himself. This just sounds, this is only issue two, but it's sounding more and more interesting with each sentence. Over at Marvel once again, the variants number two of six is by Gail Simone and Phil Noto with covers by Phil Noto and Ivan you Or Yvonne Chavron? Jessica Jones is experiencing terrifying blackouts and leaving chaos and pain in her wake. But will the latest effects of her missing time leave her on the wrong side of the law and her own family? Meanwhile, the mysterious variants arrive and Jessica fears for her own sanity. Iron Cat 2 of 5 is by Jed McKay and Perry Perez, with covers by Perry Perez, K-Zama, and a Mike Mayhew Predator variant the cat's out of the bag iron cat has it out for felicia hardy the black cat and will not stop or sorry and will stop at nothing to tear felicia down meanwhile all hell has broken loose at stark unlimited after iron cat broke in to steal the armor iron man and black cat joined forces to stop their mutual enemy this is one team up you do not want to miss also at marvel's strange number 4 Family reunion. Clea's mother Umar has come to visit just as the Blasphemy Cartel launched their latest attack on the Sanctum Sanctorum. And this time, they brought an unlikely foe to take down the Sorcerer Supreme, reintroducing the Dark Moon Knight, Shadow Knight. This is by Jed McKay and Marcelo Fiera, with Robert Roberto Poggi and Javier Tartaglia. Tartaglia, I'm sorry. Um there's also a Logan Lubera variant of Umar, who I may remind you is the original Mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry, mommy, sorry. That is the definition of Umar. Uh but I am continually somewhat triggered <clears throat> somewhat that Clea's first solo series is getting credited to Steven. <laughs> it's his title and his legacy numbering, and they're not even actually together just I, nerd rage finally harley quinn 17 it's you know stuff's happening uh stephanie phillips and riley rosmo covers by lee lee david nakayama riley rosmo and Derek chu this next section of the podcast is going to cover San Diego Comic Con 2022 in its entirety. I was going to do a short little bit here on upcoming conventions, uh, but then I found an article listing them off, so you can find that. It's on Games Radar in the bio. Sorry, in the description. <laughs> um, what we're going to cover here for the Comic Con. Rundown. It's got comic book updates is how we're gonna start because that is the root of all Comic-Con things is actual comic books. Uh, Then we'll do trailers, which is, let's be honest, going to be mostly me talking about Wakanda forever, and then a little bit of She-Hulk, and then, like, very briefly, everything else, um, including the DCEU, the rest of the MCU stuff that we actually had announced or released trailers and teasers and first looks for, and then a little bit of Trek and some animated stuff and... Uh, you know, John Wick, D&D, National Tour, all that fun stuff that was other, you know, adventure, fantasy, etc. Um, then we'll get into the MCU updates, which I'm just going to cover uh, the finale of Phase 4, which is coming up at the end of the year here. The Phase 5 schedule, the Phase 6 schedule, as they have announced it so far. And then the announcements and updates that they had for um, the Phase 5 shows and uh, movies that will be coming in the next year plus. Uh, And then we'll wrap up the Comic Con stuff with games, toys, and other announcements. So getting started up there with the comic book updates. uh, First up, Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane announced that they will be doing a new Batman Spawn crossover. Um, This is one that I also have the original Batman Spawn crossover. It's you know it's a 90s thing <laughs> it's 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 kind of fun uh it's definitely definitely a fun thing to have in the collection um they're putting out a new one now which i have absolutely no hopes for because i mean it wasn't really that great to begin with it's just again it's just a lot of fun this is a dc image crossover across publishers um so i love to see this kind of cooperation between creators and hopefully you know, maybe it'll spark some more inter-publisher crossovers, you know, between, you know, Sailor Moon and Marvel or something. Just spitballing. Uh, there was a Berserker panel where it was announced that there is going to be an additional Berserker comic series, which is, again, created by Keanu Reeves. We are also having a Tiger Division series. It's gonna be a limited series over at Marvel. Tiger Division is, I believe, the Korean uh, superhero team that they have over in Asia. Dynamite Comics announced that they are going to be beginning to publish Gargoyle comics again. Uh, I say again, but I honestly don't know who it was. that published them originally. Um, I can't possibly tell you what to expect from Dynamite Gargoyle comics, because Dynamite, as a publisher, does have a certain reputation for the kinds of projects that they take on and put out. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. We may get some severely sex sub gargoyles. <laughs> we'll have to see. Uh, it was also announced that we are getting a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers slash Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Uh, crossover series coming in December. This is going to be a sequel to a previous recent series of these two teams crossing over. Uh, It's just a little bit of comic ridiculousness. Again, love to see it. For some stuff happening at Marvel Comics, we have Extreme X-Men is returning in a flashback series by Chris Claremont, uh, and is going to be predecessed by a couple of comic variants celebrating it, and that will be by ken lashley on captain america symbol of truth number seven by nick klein on sentinel of liberty number six by mike mccone on avengers 62 and by john boy myers on carnage number eight There is also going to be a new Doctor Strange series called Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise. This is a four-issue series written and drawn by the illustrious Trad Moore. If you read the series Silver Surfer Black, that was another one that was written and drawn by Trad Moore and is absolutely the only proof that you need that this is going to be worth reading. Trad Moore does a remarkable Whooey stupendous job of almost mimicking the, um, uh, I want to say, like, the Kirby, or in this case, I think I would, Ditko, um, art style, and it's all, eh. It's so good. Uh, this news alone got me really, really excited for the rest of Comic Con. Um, there is uh, apparently, you know how, uh, like I just said, the whole Extreme X Men, they're doing a couple of variants through other series to kind of uh predecess the extreme x-men series well apparently when they do that kind of thing it's called a variant cover program i did not know that but now i do Um, so they're doing another one that's going to be debuting in january 2023 that is going to be a series of homage covers Um, homage covers being uh let's just take a really famous one off the top of my head The death of Captain Marvel, where you have the body, the deceased body of Captain Marvel being held by Lady Death itself, homaging Michelangelo's Pieta statue. Uh, absolutely fantastic but you have a, there's a number of covers who have homage that death of captain marvel cover showing other characters in the same position so that's kind of what an homage is if you just for whatever reason did not know um, and what we're going to be getting for these one two three four five homage covers are going to be um, we have a Black Panther number 13 homage by Paco Medina, Hulk number 13 by Steve McNiven, Immortal X-Men number 10 by Lino Francis Yu, who I adore, Thor number 31 by Mohamed Asrar, and Wolverine number 20 mi- 29 by Eddie Granov. We also know that the... Oh, I already mentioned the Tiger Division series. Here's the details on the Tiger Division series. It's going to be five issues. Uh, Written by Emily Kim, with art by Chris Lee. It says, Fierce Fighters, the Defenders of South Korea, take center stage. In their first ever solo series, you'll learn more about Taeguki, the powerhouse with a heart of gold, Lady Bright, a card-wielding sorceress, Mr. Enigma, a street-brawling demigod, the General, a living totem, and Gun R2, an android with an attitude. They're joined by fan favorites White Fox and Luna Snow to form an unstoppable team. We're also getting a five-issue series called *Spider-Man: The Lost Hunt*, uh, starting in November of this year, by J.M. De Matisse. De Matisse, yeah, and art by Eder Messias. Um, it says that he continues to spin new webs within the past. This time, partnered with Elder Messias. Masi- Reeling secrets and answering mysteries Spidey fans have been waiting for, prepare to explore the depths of what made Craven the hunter the powerhouse and villain that he always was. As Peter Parker and Mary Jane prepare for their new lives in Portland, huh? a man from Craven's past What stalks them. Who is his mystery man, and what does he want with Spider-Man? Strange Academy is getting its second series, starting with uh, issue one t- in October. It is titled Strange Academy Finals. And we already knew a bit about Dark Web. Um, it was it's an upcoming Spider-Man event in the Amazing Spider-Man series where we have Ben Riley uh, back being a Spider-Man villain. He was a clone of Peter Parker, and he is for whatever reason teaming up with Madeline Pryor, uh, formerly a clone of Jean Grey. So that's gonna be not great. I have been a whole two-hour podcast on Madeline Pryor's character, if you would like to know why that is not great, you can go listen to that. I believe it was the April, May Yancey Street special or possibly June. I can't keep things straight anymore. We did get two exclusive covers for the convention. Uh, One was New Mutants number 27 by Lena Francis Yu, and the other was Women of Marvel number one by Elena Casa Grande. Now the thing that I am most, oh, I have two more points before I get to what I'm most excited about. Moon Girls getting a new series by Jordan Ifueko and drawn by Alba Glez, and Iron Man, Christopher Cantwell's Iron Man, is actually ending at issue 25. So the thing that I'm most excited about Uh, Marvel teased some kind of the big Avengers finale, which is fine. Good, uh, Jason Aaron's finally getting off of Avengers. Thank goodness. Um, But Jonathan Hickman is returning to Marvel Comics. Um, It just says on the thing, it's Jonathan Hickman and Valerio shitty. And it says, what happens when the powers that be meet the natural order of things? cosmic hickman um this is exciting let me tell you why this is exciting as briefly as i can um uh, jonathan hickman more or less let's just say started um his marvel career with fantastic four he did future foundation he did dragon man he did all of this stuff Um, setting up a completely new era for the fantastic four for a lot of fans um, that was their definitive fantastic four that got them into fantastic four comics and that they still wish you know would get that same vibe from that era of the team he then went on to do avengers which is around the time that i started reading current comics that were then coming out um you know weekly and supposed to just reading stuff that i could get my hands on um he did uh Secret Wars, which was just bo- just mind-boggling, amazing, um, and then he did Avengers World, which had this really cool stuff with this character Exhaleo and Nightmask and Starbrand and all this really cool semi-cosmic stuff that you could just feel he was just kind of trickling the edges of this big world of. Ooh, I just knocked my cord this big way almost unplugged it uh this big world of cosmic stuff right um and so then he left avengers and then he came back with x-men i think pretty much indisputably saved the x-men from the kind of floundering they had been doing for kind of years at that point um absolutely without a doubt my favorite thing that's happened with the x-men maybe in all time (laughs) um so you kind of see what what the thing is here that Brickman is brought into marvel he's given a section of their world and he fixes it he perfects it he makes it so that literally no writer ever is gonna come in and top what this asshole did because he's that good um giving him keys to the cosmic Because that's what you have to to assume here. What happens when the powers that be meet the natural order of things? uh, With the with a starry background on the announcement, Uh, this is going to be cosmic Hickman. Hickman is going to be completely reordering the hierarchy of cosmic Marvel. Um, If you have read the Ultimates, the 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 modern Ultimate series with, um, I believe it was Al Ewing writing. I remember reading that as it was coming out, going, "Wow, it feels like again we are just touching on the edges of something stupendous." There is like you—you you get bits and pieces. You get eternity. You get Galactus. You get. I don't remember the guy who was, like, God, basically, in the Marvel Universe, but he was in that, too. Like, you get all this crazy stuff, the kind of stuff that people go to YouTube and look up explanation videos for this whole concept of this character, because it's so cosmic, mind-boggling, and out there, because they were probably, let's be honest, on acid when they created it, in the 1960s. Um, Eternity, you know, is another one of those things. We just saw Eternity in the MCU for the first time. Super cool. Hickman is going to blow our minds. (laughs) Um, And you can know that for sure because he was kind of pushed out of Marvel. Um, He had a lot more plans for the X-Men than what we've actually seen. And he kind of... um, his his other writers kind of said you know what we want to go in our own direction and so he let them do that and he left and that's you know fine and dandy hickman will be fine i've always said that he is a straight white male writer he will be fine um but i was just sad for the stories that we didn't get told because he is a fantastic storyteller but anyway um so he went off and he's been doing this enormous project, Three Worlds Three Moons, which I can't even wrap my brain around the amount of work that's been being put into that, but um, Marvel must have really given him something he wanted to coax him back for a next big thing like this Um, and that's all I think, I mean, everything else aside, that's really all (laughs) you need to know that this is gonna be stupendous. Uh, Not a clue when it's gonna start. Absolutely none, but I am 1000% here for it. That wraps up the comics of Comic-Con. The rest of it is going to be trailers and announcements and updates. So starting with the DCEU trailers, the three that we have are Shazam, Fury of the Gods, Black Adam, and I'm including it in DCEU, even though it's not actually in the DCEU, but Sandman, because technically owned by DC, but anyway, uh, starting with Black Adam, this is premiering in theaters October 21st. Dwayne Johnson, who plays Black Adam, made a big entrance at Comic-Con's Hall H, rising from the stage floor in his full Black Adam costume. Says so as he emerged, lightning bolts appear on the screen behind him and smoke billowed out of the floor. You have to love the theatrics, especially from an ex-wrestling uh, professional such as Dwayne Johnson. Things we learned about this, uh, there's not too much new stuff in trailers, but things we learned about this uh, movie, Amanda Waller is going to be in the movie, played by Viola Davis again, so that's really nice to see her there. They confirmed there is not going to be Superman in the movie, which a lot of people I know were very disappointed by, uh, especially seeing as the connection between Henry Cavill and Dwayne Johnson uh, being... Getting both into the DCEU as actors, it's a little bit too bad they don't get to work together. But uh, we, don't, we did see the character of Isis, who is Black Adam's wife, is being played by Sarah Shahai, um, and she looks really good. We also know that we're going to be getting uh, through this the Justice Society, and we will be getting after this a Justice Society of America spinoff with Atom Smasher, Dr. Fate, Hawkwoman, and Hawkman at the very least as the Justice Society of America shazam fury of the gods uh i didn't write down the date for but it looks really good again i'm not going to go ripping through the details of this one like i will for wakanda forever but um the whole shazam family has powers now so that's pretty cool they're all going to be involved in the events of the movie super exciting uh we know that hespera and calypso are the daughters of atlas they're being played by helen mirren and lucy Liu. uh there is a third magical lady uh she's being played by rachel ziegler and it is still not quite sure who it actually is that she plays for some reason when you look it up on google google says that she's playing atlas which we you know (laughs) know isn't true for various reasons um I've seen theories that she might be Athena, theories that she might be another of Atlas's four daughters. He had four in total. Um, but nobody really has a solid grasp on who Rachel Ziegler's character is going to be, or even particularly what her role will be. The best I can see is that people are more or less in agreement that she is likely going to be a third member of the Hespera Calypso trinity and will break off of that to become a minor at some point hero in the. Movie. Movie with the Shazam family. Now, Sandman is a very important project for a number of reasons. It's a Netflix project, uh, but it does base in uh, Vertigo Comics, which is in all technicality a DC title or DC um, sub-published sub. Published subs- you get it they're owned by dc um so that's why i have it here in this category i also have a much 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 more thorough <laughs> breakdown of the trailer and discussion of the panel uh, as a bbc article if you would like to check that out because um, i have to admit i have never read sandman comics I am a little ashamed to say that as a very, very big fan of Neil Gaiman. I've read a lot of his books um, and a good amount of his comics. (sighs) Um, So I I can't say that I am the most familiar with this. I have a pretty good grasp of the concept and the vibes. um, But other than that, I have not familiarized myself with Sandman. Um, But briefly sandman follows the story of morpheus he personifies stories and dreams after and after escaping a long imprisonment he sets out trying to regain his powers and control over the world of dreaming he's one of a family known as the endless which also includes death and desire death is a very famous character from the neil gaiman sandman comics Uh, She has her own kind of volume of collected comics, if you would like to check that out as well, and she's being played here on the show by Kirby Howell-Baptiste, who commented on the character that, quote, I spent an incredibly long time looking at relationships with death around the world while preparing for the role, unquote. Um, I know a lot of people were unhappy with her casting for reasons that I'm not even going to bother explaining, uh, but based on a teaser clip that was uh, posted at the very least to Twitter by Neil Gaiman she is nailing it (laughs) Um, I recognize uh, Kirby Baptiste or sorry Kirby Howe Baptiste from something but I did not actually get to figure out what that was but she is a British actress um, so I have no doubt it was something British I doubt it was Doctor Who Um, and there's a lot of really great actors in this show that you may recognize and also this is a kind of fun thing that they said the panel original sandman illustrator for the sandman series david mckean has created a different end credits scene for every episode of the show so that's pretty cool they were able to tie him in to give him a job to uh still be involved with the project as well the mcu trailers i'm going to cover i have i am groot Wakanda Forever, She-Hulk, and then Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which is actually not a trailer, it was a first look. So we're gonna start with I Am Groot. This is a show that's gonna premiere August 10th on Disney+. It will be a total of five shorts in a collection. I'm unsure if it's gonna be weekly releases or the collection itself is coming on August 10th. Uh, we do know that one, well, don't know much about plot besides that. One of these short stories will be taking place between the events of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So at some point during that course of that movie, Uh, one of these shorts will be taking place. The animation style is really more CGI than animation, in my opinion. They are calling it photorealistic animation style. Um, I'm just going to go with it's CGI, (laughs) CGI animation. And it will be showing, at least for the most part, Groot in his baby form. He is voiced, again, by Vin Diesel. And Bradley Cooper is going to be appearing at one point as the voice of Rocket as well. Uh, A summary of the series from Collider, it says Groot inadvertently antagonizes a group of tiny creatures who look harmless but are armed to the teeth. But along comes a twist when Groot gets so scared that he farts a leaf, and apparently this is all he needed to do in order to escape the dangerous situation that he put himself in. That gives you a pretty good vibe. That was actually the, the trailer summarized by Collider. Uh, it gives you a pretty good vibe, idea of the vibe of the show. Um, and I, I feel like it'll probably stick to that vibe through the entire thing. The series is going to be headed by, or is headed by, Kirsten Lepore, uh, who is the animation director from the indie movie, Marcel the shell with shoes on which is a recent release James Gunn does executive produce on this one But I highly doubt he has actually that much influence One of the biggest talking points post comic-con and biggest takeaways I think for most audience members who were there at least in my opinion was the Wakanda forever trailer during the MCU panel There is a lot of emotion when I'm going over this, um, and I apologize if that makes you uncomfortable. No, I don't. Deal with it. Um, They saved this one, Wakanda Forever, for last, when they did the MCU panel. Uh, I was not there myself. This is all based on people's reports of I was there, this is how it went down. So they saved it for last. Kevin Feige comes out. He says something along the lines of, we've remembered the past, we've showed you the future, now let's take a look at Forever, or something like that. Uh, The whole room goes dark, all of Hall H, and they have a really, really moving live performance of music based around the movies, which then morphs into the music for the trailer. They play the trailer twice in a row. Make sure everybody (laughs) feels it right. Uh, After the trailer, cast and crew come out. Of course, that includes Tenoch Huerta, who I hope I'm saying that right. I looked it up on Wikipedia how to pronounce it. Um, Tenoch Huerta comes out and gives a passionate speech in uh, both Mexican and Spanish about, in part, Mexican pride. So I am really, really quite excited to see his debut as Namor. Um, As a native Californian uh, who was raised, taught that migrant workers in the fields were the hardest working people in america that farmers are the backbone of our country that everyone is worth getting the life that they wish for themselves and for their children this was very very moving um I hope I hope that all kind of translates my own feelings there well, but I have some people were very nice enough to have um, written down what it was exactly that Huerta said. So he says, I'm excited and I'm happy to be here. It's an honor. I'm so happy to be here. It's an honor. And I want to say something really fast about inclusion. I come from the hood, seriously, and thanks to inclusion, I'm here. I wouldn't be here without inclusion. A lot of kids out there in their hoods are looking at us, dreaming to be here, and they're gonna make it. They're gonna make it. And then he says in Spanish. And the second thing, sorry, I need to switch to Spanish. Thank you to everybody, all my country folk, all the Latin Americans. You crossed the river and you left everything you loved behind. Thanks to that, I am here. Thank you. By the way, Namor is amazing very very beautiful thing there uh, and then we have the actress Mabel who plays in the movie His Cousin Namora uh, she was asked how she reacted when she got the noise the news that she would join the MCU she said it was crazy i made a call with all my family and i shared this amazing news i don't i don't know i still can't believe i'm part of this i'm really excited to be here viva mexico and then um later on we have Tenoch spoke about Let's see, Fuera de Foco, about Latino representation in Wakanda Forever, saying, quote, It's inspired by Mesoamerican culture, and the people who were involved as advisors are academics, Mexicans of the region, Latin Americans... They call themselves Latin Americanistas. They made it possible. And the company, the production, totally open, eager, respectful, smart, sensitive. That is representation. That's how things should be done, with this commitment, with this humility, which is incredible. End quote. Uh, That's really good to hear. I'll mention it a little bit in my discussion. Um my questions about the accuracy of the costumes and whatnot, but that makes me feel very confident that there at least is a degree of that, right? Uh, Then Tenoch went on to say, you know, you see people who are in Hollywood that you admire and you say, someday, and all of a sudden, with all the humility and humanity of the world, they move close and they say, let's create this. And you say, okay, I think this, I think that, I think. And they say, of course, let's go. Wow, it was marvelous, unquote. Um, so now we have to talk a little bit, um, the music, because it is one thing to say the music was fantastic. The music was moving. It was emotional. It was beautiful. Um, it was everything, but it's, it's, you have to give, you honestly have to explain the music to give credit to it because there, it's not just the fact that it sounds good. It's the thought that goes into it. Um, So the music, it starts with the cover of No Woman, No Cry, which is a song originally by Bob Marley and the Wailers. This is a song originally from 1975, which has a more Marley style to it that you will probably recognize uh, pretty easily if you're at all familiar with quote-unquote classic rock. This version, however, is by Thames. She is a Nigerian singer, songwriter, and record producer. Thames' version of the song is much more of a ballad, calling more on reflection and finding your inner strength. As the trailer goes on, the song begins to morph into All Right by Kendrick Lamar. It's not a new song from him by any means, but it's well known. Kendrick is from Compton here in California, and his story is along the lines of what you might expect a black man from Compton, but his career has been explosive, earning him a Pulitzer Prize for the album Damn in 2017, for which the Committee of the Pulitzer said, quote, it was a virtuosic virtuosic song collection unified by its vernacular authenticity and rhythmic dynamism dynamism that offers affecting vignettes capturing the complexity of modern african-american life so yeah he, he's good <laughs> he's really good and he's important to the black community for a myriad of reasons Now when I first watched this trailer, um, I had uh, lots of feelings, so I wrote this thing on Twitter and I'm going to read it really quick here before we talk about the point-by-point, scene-by-scene, moment-by-moment really breakdown of the trailer. uh, So this is my my own statement, I guess. There's a lot that I learned while living in South Carolina. Most of it was horrific. As a white woman, I had other white folks say things to me I could never repeat, thinking I was of the same mindset. Chadwick Bozeman came from that world, and he made something incomparable. He came from the boonies that bred my husband, the same backwoods as a colored man. He fought through in a similar way. He was part of something incredible, and then he was gone. Not recasting T'Challa has been the best decision for the future of the MCU, and says a lot for the respect Marvel still has for Chadwick and his integral role in their building of a cinematic universe. The trailer today proved it, among other things. From the music which breaks my heart to the women who lead their nation in the stead of their mighty leader who carry on despite the hardship it's a lie to say that as a female in the usa in 2022 merely being a woman feels insignificant this trailer shows it too we get a grieving mother a leader of her country in her son's stead a mourning sister creating bonds from that which her brother founded among other women from around the world and you get the atlanteans a proud nation with their own right With Atlantis, we're opening up another rich set of world cultures to celebrate through the means of cinematic fantasy, which granted is, in fact, fantasy, but is always rooted in the very real, true emotions of the era. We have so much more to explore. And I put a little too long, didn't read. Chadwick Boseman can never be replaced. I'm glad they aren't pretending otherwise. I'm here for the women who carry on, for the further exploration of metaphorical societies, and for the heart. We can't deny this one is going to have a hell of a lot of heart. So now let's talk about the actual trailer things that I've noticed. Um, we see Nakia in the beginning. She is in a green toned outfit, standing on a shore of, uh, something with a step pyramid in the background. At this point, I think she must already be in negotiations with Atlantis. Uh, There were leaked outfit concepts of her in a green colored look with a helmet for going underwater. So that kind of checks out. We see queen ramonda walking with one of her dora Malage. she's taken rule of the country in her son's stead it would seem as her daughter likely has no interest in becoming queen herself or is seen as too young she sits on the throne flanked by what appears to be Koye and eo joined by the other elders the shot is entirely female a celebration is next. I don't hesitate to guess that this is all what we'll see as T'Challa's funeral, or as they'll likely call it, a celebration of his life. Everyone is dressed in white. The group in the center are dancers, and you can see stone figures on the walls behind them of Wakandan royals past. There are shots of the Wakandan countryside, the Dora Milaje led by Okoye and Queen Ramonda in black standing on the shore alone palm trees on the shoreline and she looks out over the water in contemplation. I think a lot of this movie is going to be contemplation. Whatever it is that pins them against the Atlanteans, it isn't going to be an easy question of one is right and one is wrong. All these people are saying Namor is going to be a great villain. I I think they have the wrong idea. I know they do. Namor is a ruler in his own right, just like Ramonda is, again. He has clearly lost something, and there is a reason he is striking against Wakanda. And Ramonda has lost so much as well. She even states it in the trailer, there in just a bit they're clinging they're both clinging to the hope for the future of their great nations but somehow now they stand in each other's way you can bet that she's going to see many ways forward and struggle with what the right choice will be but i digress after ramona on the beach ramonda on the beach Uh, We see Shuri looking very mournful herself and crying, also appearing to be on a beach. I actually doubt those two clips are connected in the movie because no doubt a lot of this is going to be on the shores of Wakanda, so we'll have many of these very watery emotional scenes. And then the Atlanteans. Now this really got me really pumped. Uh, The line of the song that's going as we see them is... In this great future, you can't forget your past. And as she's seeing this, we see a water birth, an Atlantean water birth. This has to be the birth of Namor, because as the baby comes, he's still connected to his mother by the umbilical cord, and he has little winged feet on his little baby ankles. It is the birth of Namor! And she says, so dry your tears, I say, as they reveal the face of the future for their entire race. He is special, no doubt. In the comics, it was because he was a mutant. He was more than just an Atlantean. Namor is the future of his species, of his people, as a leader, and maybe as proof that they are still evolving. They have a future in this ever-changing world. It is an incredible moment of alignment in the music and the shots. And that kicks off the multitudes of Atlantean culture we get to see revealed in this trailer. It is incredible. We see King Namor, fully garbed in his royal regalia, turning to face the camera from underwater. Behind him, or rather in front when we first see him, is some kind of electric orb. It looks like the sun when it goes through water, but on further investigation it is definitely under the water with him as well maybe the source of their society's power, literally like an electric source, Um, not really sure. His crown is fantastic. I can't speak for Mesoamerican accuracy, but it looks like either a gilded snake head surrounded by feathers or a metal and feather recreation of a lion's head. I honestly can't tell. Um, There are massive, either blue or sperm, I'm not honestly sure, whales. Um, that swim by the camera deep underwater and as they go by the camera angle changes just so you can see that they are covered in Atlantean soldiers just like a shark would be uh, with remoras on their underbelly and then we see a deep ocean observation station or at least the surface portion on top of the ocean, where we see a helicopter getting ready to land before the next clip shows workers opening a heavy-duty door in the floor of the station and lowering two massively armor-clad divers attached with return lines and all kinds of gear through the now-open portal into the depths below this has me very curious. We saw in Endgame or I think yeah, I think it was Endgame the mention of the earthquakes off the shore of Wakanda. So it's been uh, made clear that whatever Atlantis wherever Atlantis spreads across the ocean, no one who lives above the water is aware of its existence. So the exploration style research that it looks like is going on here must be by let's just say Westerners who have gone and learned of something beneath the water and are now sending down divers to check it out. Other obvious options here could be that this is actually a diplomatic mission already. And this is how, you know, we as surface people are going to try and make contact with Atlantis or, you know, a treasure hunt or the start of colonization. There are several much darker takes you could have here. But moving on, Uh, the shot is suspiciously followed by soldiers raiding what looks to be a Wakandan location, possibly um, military taking over some kind of science facility, which is (laughs) never a good sign. Adding to the drama after this, we get a dreamlike sequence a uh, clip of Shuri standing in the Wakandan throne room, which is both on fire and flooded, which is pretty intense. And then we get Riri, Riri Williams. She is Ironheart. Um, she's welcomed the trailer beautifully by Kendrick Lamar himself in the first clear line of his voice as the song transitions from No Woman No Cry to All Right. Uh, To make it more appropriate, we see her greeting Shuri with friendly enthusiasm and very much comfort as they dap each other up with a hello. It's so fantastic to see these two literally genius women already on fantastic terms. Riri in the comics is from Chicago, raised by her mother after the death of her father, which was before she was even born. She was a certified child genius as a child. Um, My guess is that we're going to see her connected to the MCU through T'Challa's humanitarian efforts in the U.S. We already know that he has a Wakandan, I call it like a help center or whatever, in Oakland for the needy, so it wouldn't be a huge jump to assume a place like that somewhere, be it that one or another, links a genius young Riri up with Wakandan resources or something, and that's how she meets Shuri that way. I also have to take a moment to appreciate how different these two black women look as well. I have no doubt it will reflect in their personalities too. You don't have to be one thing to be smart. Here we have a, what I'm sure is gonna be called, Urban Riri and a, uh, quote-unquote more proper shuri, you know, one raised rich, the other, at least in the comics, definitely not. And even on a physical level, you have slim and taunt shuri contrasting against the muscular curves of RiRi, but they're both equally deserving of praise, and this whole little sequence, it's super short, it's like two seconds, but it is so well done, and it is so full of black girl magic. Adding to the Atlantis and Namor theories, the next shot is another shoreline and a two-story home. Uh, The home, though, is entirely engulfed in flames, with clear destruction on the front of the lawn area. However, you can see that there's even a carriage-type vehicle, making this as a much likely further flashback than just a few decades uh, but it is certainly a flashback because the next shot that we see is the fire from the perspective of a are watching from the water, which is how we see Namor, young Nabor I should say, doing just that he's, he's probably, I mean, he looks like he's maybe 10, uh, maybe eight. I don't know. I'm terrible at guessing children's ages. <laughs> um tan-skinned just like in the comics and he's flanked by blue-skinned soldiers it looks like he watches the house burn down and they watch more or less his reaction and you can see that his little shoulders are hunched in clear disappointment the very next shot is namor from behind again standing in the water this time as an adult holding his spear which we can't quite see if it's a trident or a spear or what um, and as he surfaces he walks towards blue-skinned atlanteans who are on the shore waiting for him who it looks like they've already set up some kind of little encampment you can see behind them uh, signs of wakandan society and technology or perhaps some of their own society that we just don't know about yet unlikely though the designs of the Atlanteans are decidedly Mesoamerican, but again, I can't speak for the accuracy of the looks beyond the facial piercings, which I've already seen confirmed are very much correctly done. I would love to get more insight to the accuracy of the designs historically. I know Tenochtitlán had mentioned that they brought in all of these professionals and um, teachers and what professors and whatnot to actually, you know, help with that kind of thing. I would just love to see it all explained. I guess. Um, Helicopters. They we see in another shot. Helicopters. They are approaching icy mountains uh clearly in baku's territory of wakanda as you can see a gigantic ape statue carved into the mountain and then you see he himself looking up at something possibly at the approaching plains the dora are also there looking up at something with concern on nakia's face as she approaches something in a jungle scene you get Queen Ramona in a purple dress going into some official UN style meeting where the speakers flanking her wear masks and lower their microphones. I would think out of respect to her, but I'm not sure. Uh, she also says in this moment of a voiceover that her entire family is gone, which makes me wonder about Shuri, but we'll get to that in just a second. Also, after she says this bit, we see a beautiful mural of T'Challa while some drummers are performing alongside it possibly in that same celebration of his life. Also, while she's giving the speech, Ramona is in the Wakandan throne room, not the UN, and is backed by the Dora Milaje. I think she must be, at this moment, addressing someone from Atlantis. We also see Atlantean soldiers on an overpass or bridge of some kind, giving clear shots of their looks and breathing apparatuses. We see Martin Everett's, sorry, Martin Freeman's Everett Ross on a similar bridge, but this time in the daytime. Uh, Riri smashing a very rough cut heart shape out of a piece of iron, uh, which I noted she appears to be in a cave that resembles of all things, the Iron Man one Mark one cave he built the armor in, but better lit. So that's a bit funny. Um, Possibly she is there in Wakanda doing stuff. I don't know. Uh, And then back to the Atlanteans with Namor on the same shoreline with their small encampment, but this time they are under attack. The blue-skinned warriors leap into the water, leaving Namor on the shore, who is leapt at by M'Baku from the water with his big bludgeoning hammer weapon thing. Again, it looks like there is Wakandan society uh, behind their encampment, like they're just on their shores. Then we have uh, what looks like Dora Milaje versus Dora Milaje, but I can't quite tell who it is just yet. It makes me think that certain characters will find a truth worthy of peace between these two societies, while the rest will be rooting for impending war, and that will definitely cause some kind of rift in their ranks. Uh, there is a shot of Namor from behind again, admiring what looks like historical Mexican artwork from his parts of the world. Uh, then a tan-skinned Atlantean woman, interestingly, underwater, violently spearing down a—I'm not sure, honestly—possibly a Department of a Defense. Oh, sorry, Damage Control. That's the one. A department, the Damage Control pressure gun thing that we saw in Ms. Marvel. Possibly it's an underwater searchlight scanning thing. It's not immediately clear, but I think it is interesting that we see she is tan skinned. Uh, we do see a bit of the Wakandan throne room flooding, which must mean that the Shuri scene uh, there, as it burns down later, will be a real sequence and not a dream. Um, this has got to be the Atlanteans' main way of fighting Shoreside Wakanda with the ocean itself. There's some more of Okoye fighting Pelodora Malaje, which strengthens my theory about her possibly being marked traitor for wanting to end the fighting. Uh, Some kind of motorcycle and car chase explosions back on that bridge again, Shuri fighting for her life, and then the throne. Namor's throne? is made out of the jaws of a freaking megalodon how sick is that and the shot that we see this in is incredible with him just gracefully floating down underwater arms raised up jesus christ style oh my god the drama so cool i love it um can't get enough (laughs) uh we have atlanteans attacking a wakandan ship fighting each other on there and then it wraps up with the panther releases its claws. Um, so remember how I said that bit about Queen Ramonda losing her entire family, she was saying in the speech, uh, and how that makes me question what's gonna happen with Shuri here. Do you remember how one has to become a black the Black Panther? Basically, you die in a controlled state. They, they die, they see their ancestors in the spirit realm, and then they return with the power of the Black Panther. Boom. Shuri's going to die and then end up revealing herself to be the next Black Panther. Wa-bang. That's my theory. And that's the end of the trailer. Um, So what I'm thinking here and I I think we're missing here. And by missing, I mean, having kept from us as viewers is a third party. uh, Someone who is pulling the strings on both sides, most likely. Because think about it. As we've kind of put it together with this trailer, which granted could be a lot of trickery, but assuming that we've got a decent grasp of things, a long, long time ago, Namor was born, the hope of his people, but the ground-walking side of their society fell, and they retreat to the water a hundred years or so pass, with Namor growing into the mature king at that time. Granted, you have to note in the comics, he's like 150 years old or something, so that does check out. And it isn't until now, though, that they make their move on Wakanda, for whatever apparent ancient beef reasons. Why wait so long? What changed that they decided to make their move now, like 100 plus years after all whatever it is goes down in the first place? Obviously, one thing that you could say there is that there is no panther, Wakanda's protector is gone, and many probably think that there is no successor, so they make their move when they see that is at its most vulnerable, maybe, but I digress. Additionally, why are these mercenary-looking soldiers attacking Wakanda's science st- stations? Why are they raiding M'Baku's territory? Who would do that? The UN doesn't have the power to just do that. Wakanda certainly wouldn't have asked for the UN's help either. And why is one side of the Dora so focused hard on war when there clearly must be another way if there is a rift and the other side doesn't want to go that direction? Basically, who has the audacity to pin these two societies to, against each other? Victor Von Doom does. I think we're going to see... Uh, Doom ghost directing all of the conflict from the Shadows in this movie uh, then leading to his eventual reveal he would want their medals I guess and Atlantis's, whatever they have down there and with Secret Wars being announced down the line we know he's going to be there for that you might as well start with his intro here now about T'Challa's death because we do have to discuss that as well very quickly um it is most likely what they're going to do is going to do like a, he died of a mysterious fictional illness uh i know jonathan hickman created an illness for the new mutants book that terrified me something about you just forget things until you forget how to breathe and then you forget how to make your heart beat and stuff like that so absolutely terrifying uh but that's just an example of fictional illness in marvel comics or possibly um he sacrificed himself in some way, but they won't be recasting him, thank goodness, as it should be, which I have already mentioned. There is one more thing, I guess you'd call it a theory, that I would like to discuss. Uh, it's it's based in real history too, um, so it's not really just comic stuff, it's, it's actually not comic stuff, um, but I think it's possible that this is a historical story that could get brought into the plot of the uh the strife of wakanda forever Um, and that has to do with pilgrimages from the continent of africa to the americas in the year 1300 this is something that i learned about actually very recently by coincidence um I began learning about this because I learned of Bansa Musa, who is the richest man or richest person in all of history. Um, he was a, I believe he was king of the Mali Empire um, around 1311. Um, and he was made king by his brother, whose name was Bansa Abubakar II. Uh, yeah, I think that's how you say it, the second. Um, he had at one point set, um, 200 ships out. It would be West to the Americas across the Atlantic ocean, Atlantic ocean from Mali. Um, so the same kind of journey that Christopher Columbus took, up, uh, over 200 years later, but this is 200 years prior. Um, the first journey that he sent people out with, um, I believe only one ship returned of the 200. And so they considered it a failure. However, the second fleet had a thousand ships carrying crew members, as well as a thousand other ships for supplies, including trade materials, crops, animals, and gold, uh, various treasures of the Mali kingdom. And so he left with this fleet. um, And that's when he left Mali to his brother Mansa Musa, who becomes the richest man in history. But um, it's very interesting that the journey of Mansa Abubakar II across the Atlantic Ocean in the year 1311 is not taught in American schools. We are taught that Christopher Columbus was the first person from, um, you know, that kind of part, that, that trunk of the world uh, to make it a crop from the, I guess you would say that side of the Atlantic to make it to the Americas side of the Atlantic. And that is, as I see it in the historical context here, and you will hopefully too, by the time I finish covering this, 100% false. Let me read you uh, this. This is from uh, Indonesiawindow.com. Very random place to find it, but okay. It says, uh, the journey was recorded in history, but no one knows if he reached America, which in my opinion is complete BS because we have evidence that he did. Uh, this is nonetheless, there is many evidence that West African Muslims had set foot on their neighboring continent. It's, this is written very strangely, so I'll kind of have to uh, edit it a little bit, but basically they're saying that there's a ton of evidence that he did make it to the Americas from Mali. Um, says the strongest evidence comes from columbus himself who is believed to be the first outsider as we are taught in american education who arrived in 1492 that is not accurate because in columbus's own journal he mentions that native americans confirmed quote black-skinned people had come from the southeast in boats trading in gold tipped spears unquote the natives described the spears spearheads as guanine a word for gold in the man Mandinkan, which is the language of the Mali Empire. Also, chemical analysis of spearheads found that the gold that they had there originated in West Africa. Columbus and his son discovered Native Americans using handkerchiefs like those used in West Africa, and European sailors mentioned that native tribes were similar clothes to the Muslim Moors of Spain. No one ever knows about the fate of Mansa Akbar's the Ab, sorry Abu Bakr's the second's fleet. However, in my opinion, this is more than enough evidence that yes, he did make it and they liked it so much that they just decided to stay. Um, anyway, I hope you see what my point is here. You have, uh, the Mali empire, which is of course, West Africa, which is the same as Wakanda, I believe. Um, which is obviously fictional. Um, reaching the Americas in the year 13-something or rather, because if they left in 1311, who knows how long that took, uh, and evidence that they had been there for a very long time, almost 300 years later. He was there. Um, So I'm wondering if in Wakanda Forever, where we're seeing Mesoamerican cultures, uh, which are what they would have kind of found in the Americas at that time, encountering african cultures you see what i'm saying here i wonder if there's going to be any kind of connection to that there have been a number of times uh you may think it's silly but there there really have been a number of times uh most recently uh partition in his marvel uh, where history real factual history has been kind of made public due to Comic book media. As I said, the partition, Ms. Marvel, many people, especially in America, because of our failing education system, are not aware of what partition was. And that's not particularly the fault of American students. Uh, we don't really necessarily know how to teach ourselves world history. We don't know where to look. We have to be shown, you know? And so the other one was uh, The Watchmen Show and the Tulsa Massacre. Uh, I read a fantastic or saw a fantastic clip of Tom Hanks talking about that, how when he first heard of the Tulsa massacre around that time, he didn't know what it was. And then when he found out, he was horrified that he hadn't learned that. Um, And that this would kind of fall along similar lines. Why are American students taught that Christopher Columbus was the first um, East of the Atlantic society to make it to the Americas when we practically have fact Everything except for first-person confirmation that um, this West African Mali king from the year 1311 made a life there for him and his people who he brought with these boats of supplies and equipment. Why is that not taught? Christopher Columbus ain't shit. I mean, we knew that, but... Um, I just think that would be something very interesting. It's an opportunity, as I see it, to kind of put this little bit of real history into comic book media and to get that little bit of education out there that, uh, you know, our own systems have failed at done teaching us. So now let's continue to grow and learn things through our, you know, fun escapism media because it can still be escapism and have actual fact in it. I just think that would be a really cool way of um connecting you know these fictional stories and mildly at least to real history it was also very exciting to see an additional she-hulk trailer as the show is starting up in less than a month now on disney plus i'm going to be having a august yance or sorry july yeah no it is august Yancey street special uh before hopefully the show premieres where i'll be discussing everything you ever wanted to know about Jennifer Walters and her She-Hulk persona. Uh, I've been working on it for months already because she has so much to cover. Um, and I'm very excited to share that with you when I get there. But for now, let's talk about what we saw in the trailer. Um, so for starters, the CGI on Jen does look a lot better. I think there still could be a uh, it still could be greatly improved upon based on how Bruce looks, but it is a really big improvement from where we saw her in the in the initial teaser trailer. Um, we have bruce has taken her to a mexican island in mexico her shirt says i heart mexico so that must be it he says that she reverts back to her gen form when she sleeps which i don't think is canon in the comics Uh, she also says her best friend is nikki who i cannot find a single comic counterpart to i continue to search so if you know of something let me know we'll talk more about nikki when we see her later in the trailer and just like in the comics, it does look like, in general, and I do mean in general, this is not a rule, it is just in general, Jen does have an easier time adjusting to things as She Hulk. Bruce thinks that she needs to train more, and she just wants to get back to life, apparently. Uh, there will be breaking of the fourth wall. We see an example of that early on in the trailer. And it looks like other characters won't see you know the audience or camera the same way that she does because she addresses us and then bruce looks back like what'd you just say and he clearly doesn't know what's going on with that so i wonder if that's only something that happens in the she-hulk form as well or if um you know i just was thinking what if nikki is who she's talking to that's interesting Hmm. I'm going to have to get back to that theory when we talk about Nikki a little bit more in a second. I just got off track way too far. Um, But anyway, so she is going to be breaking the fourth wall or possibly talking to Nikki. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, we get voiceover in the beginning after she finally leaves the island by Halden Holloway of goodman lieber Kritzberg. Kurtzberg and Holloway which is the law agency that Jen does work for in the comics it first appeared in She-Hulk number one in 2004 where Holden Holloway hired She-Hulk to be a lawyer for his law firm but strictly as Jennifer Walters um it also changed its name in 20 uh 2007 excuse me She-Hulk number 21 to Goodman Lieber Kurtzberg and Book um so I guess Holloway gets kicked out, but um, it does look like here, and he does say that he is hiring her specifically in her Hulk form, not her Gen form, uh, as it was in the comics. But also it's it's very clear, um, I think, that this Holden Holloway is much more lax on... Everything kind of official legal it seems because he also doesn't seem to care That their big client who we'll talk about in a second has a major conflict with a major conflict of interest with this new attorney Which is a big deal in you know legal stuff Um, So clearly this version of Holden Holloway is much less by the book and the big client of course it looks like, is Emil Blonsky, aka Abomination. We first saw him in the MCU way back in the Incredible Hulk movie. We saw a few teases of him through the years as maybe still being canon and you know around. And then there was uh, Shang-Chi last year, and there he was, with updated CGI, still played by Tim Roth of the Incredible Hulk. And now here he is again in She-Hulk, completing the circle. Also, if you're a fan of Tim Roth, I do recommend uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead with him and Gary Oldman circa 1990. Great movie. But anyway, uh, clearly Roth knows who Jen is. Um, I keep saying Roth, I just realized, (laughs) not Blonsky. Clearly Blonsky knows who Jen is, even in Jen form, Uh, so maybe we will see context about that in the show before they meet in this particular scene. Um, And apparently, representing Blonsky becomes the focus of her career, not her being a Hulk, which you would think she would want. So... Um, I guess there's going to be a bit bit of ego going on here too we get a shot of Jamila Jamil as Titania which is going to be a lot of fun I think she kind of looks like Satana's comic design in this one shot which is like weird for placements on her boots and the red hair and stuff or maybe I've just been reading too many Satana comics I guess lately uh, she actually looks like she might be wearing a take on a wrestling getup which feels very appropriate for her character so I'm kind of got my fingers Cross, hoping i'm right about that one when we see her in the trailer she is breaking into the courtroom Apparently, Uh, and then we see the elusive Nikki here played by Ginger Gonzaga Who again, I cannot find a comic counterpart to all I can find is the MCU wiki Which claims that she is a fellow attorney at Goodman-Lieber, etc. with Jen My assumption there then is that she got Jen the job after Jen becomes She-Hulk But I guess we'll have to see I still have that theory of Nikki being all in her head um, but that, that does, it is pretty out there. And I'll explain that for a second. Ginger Gonzaga was interviewed about her role, uh, before she was able to say who her character was, uh, which they've been keeping pretty under wraps as well, which why would they be doing that if she wasn't something kind of a big deal? Um, and she said, I believe that what she said was she plays Jen's best friend who has been by her side her whole life. And there was something about the way that she phrased that um, in combination with the events of the Immortal Hulk series, which if you've read, hopefully you'll kind of get where I'm going here. The Banner family has a little bit of a mental health crisis in their DNA, (laughs) Um, Bruce has had let's say imaginary friends since he was a child long before he was ever irradiated so um that's kind of where that theory all goes all kind of comes from from me um and the fact that i can't find nikki in the comics she's never been friends with anybody who she's worked with before in fact they're usually the opposite um it's, a, I, I I just feel like maybe Nikki might be a hallucination. Um, so just, just, it's pretty out there, I know, but I feel like I just got to mention it because I have this weird, something, something's up with Nikki. Something's up with Nikki. Um, so then we get Wong. He, he magically loops into her office. It looks like it's her office at least. And you'll know Nikki is beside her and you bet I will be paying attention to if anybody acknowledges her being there in any scenes. Again hallucination theory but he says uh we answer to a higher power i guess telling her about the near multiverse incursion from i guess multiverse of madness i'm not sure but while he's talking we she saw we see shots of wrecking crew uh emile hulking into abomination in his little cage thing which causes all kinds of alarms while jen as jen and wong who happens to be sitting at a table behind her which was interesting uh they're watching uh, and then Jen tells him, as a lawyer, they do things by the book, although, as we've already mentioned, uh, what's his name? Holden Holloway, at least of the MCU, clearly does not. Um, and then he makes some comment about the Book of Vishanti. He would not think that. I'm sorry, that's a dumb comment. Um, And Bruce yells at her about how she's a superhero now. We see shots of her at a possible bar crowd cheering her on as She-Hulk, I'm guessing after she first fights Titania, which makes me think, what if the Titania stuff is a publicity stunt? Um, Especially with her boss being so like, yeah, you're going to be a new face of our superhero stuff as She-Hulk, not as Jen. Um, I think that's very interesting. So anyway, um, the four dudes of the wrecking crew, we see them again. She takes them out pretty easily. However, I have a feeling that they will be possibly taken in by somebody who will up their powers or just mess with them genetically. Um, You see She-Hulk showing up in that silver dress at a red carpet, which I'm guessing happens after her hype starts picking up a lot. Another shot of Titania in a pink and white suit standing in a garden or cemetery or something really nice like that. Uh, You get some kind of magician on trial, no doubt, will be a fun Deep Cup comic reference. And then you see the DODC and their boom guns. That is the uh, Department of Damage Control, who we just saw in Ms. Marvel with their, as I just said, boom guns. I don't know what else to call them, uh, which we actually did see originally in a different form in The Incredible Hulk. So look at this, all these big circles connecting the dots. I love it. Um, and then we get Jen talks about herself being the cool girl in high school now, that she's She-Hulk, um, some kind of hybrid ugly dog thing, which, I'm not going to say is Mad Dog, but, you know, it could be uh, Patsy Walker's ex-husband. Actually, with that voiceover, she appears, uh, She-Hulk appears. appears to be in some kind of, like, peace-seeking therapy center for heroes. Because uh, you get one guy around her in, like, a yogi outfit, and then you get these two really random superhero or super-powered person outfits It's very strange. I have no idea, to be honest, what they're supposed to be. Um, And then you get this motivational quote on the wall on a poster behind her from friggin' Emil Blonsky, who, again, is abomination. So I guess that just must be part of his growth as abomination. He marketed his finding of inner peace, which we uh, see break in the trailer alone when he busts into abomination. So it must be a lot of BS, really. Um, and then finally, Bruce admitting that he is really just jealous of her take on the Hulk powers. After the titles, we see her Hulk suit, as it must end up being, which is kind of like a cross between her a 4 suit and like a modern Avengers one uh, with, you know, the casual, the usual MCU swing to it. But more importantly, maybe, uh, we see someone gliding over her in this night sequence, and it is a Daredevil, Daredello. daredello. Ooh. Daredevil in his new uh, yellow and red and black suit. It is definitely a more MCU suit uh, look than his boxing-themed comics version, but obviously you have to expect that. Um, the red tone looks a very bit orangey, I want to say, which is an interesting thing. Or Possibly it's just the night colors or the yellow reflecting off of it. Who knows? What I'm more curious of is, has she met Matt matt murdoch before this encounter is he revealing himself as a hero now as well as a lawyer or is he playing the two different people game in any case my, my case my best guess is that he is probably telling her not to trust emile uh which i would definitely have to agree with we also had a first look at the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur show, which is going to be premiering on the Disney Channel. Not Disney Plus, the Disney Channel, this is 100% an animated kids show. I did not even finish the first look because it felt like I was watching something that was specifically not made for someone my age. But it does star Lunella Lafayette, the 13-year-old genius. Um, It is a really cool concept and hopefully it will catch on and we'll see more of her in the future. For Star Trek, we saw uh, the trailer for Lower Decks season three, as well as a teaser for Picard season three. The most fun fact we got out of the Trek panel was that Strange New Worlds season two is going to feature a live action slash animation crossover with Lower Decks. We're going to see Tawny Newsome's Ensign Beckett Mariner and Jack Quaid's Ensign Brad Boimler Uh, join the USS Enterprise as live action crew members on Strange New Worlds. So that is what I am looking forward to on season two of Strange New Worlds 100%. As far as animation goes, we had a trailer Uh, a new preview, and some details on Dragon Ball Super Hero, which is coming out, uh, I believe, either later this month or next month. Unfortunately, a lot of this movie has been spoiled because it's already been released overseas, Um, so there wasn't actually too much to go over that hasn't already been announced somewhere else. Uh, There was an exclusive clip for The Dragon Prince Season 4, which is a Netflix show, absolutely adorable, and there was a trailer for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe season three, which is another Netflix show. Uh they also announced a Beavis and Butthead movie. Oh sorry, no, it is gonna be a TV show that is starting back up on Paramount Plus this August. Other action, fantasy, and adventure things we saw. John Wick 4 trailer stars Keanu Reeves, Donnie Yen, and Hiroyuka Sonata, which I probably pronounce wrong, but you will recognize both of those uh, latter two actors for sure uh, by their face, if not by their name. Uh, we have information on Interview with a Vampire, which will be premiering October 2nd on AMC. We saw the first trailer for D&D Honor Among Thieves, which looks honestly fantastic, but there is one very clear critique available, and that is because they are all so humanoid. Where is the dwarf? Where is the tiefling? Where is the winged persona or horse-faced guy or whatever? They all look so normal, and that is super not a D&D thing. <laughs> uh national treasure is gonna be a new show that's on disney plus it's gonna star justin bartha as riley Poole. he was actually in the original national treasure movies probably the best parts of them honestly and we have katherine zeta jones as character billy pierce jordan rodriguez is playing someone called ethan antonio cipriano is playing Oren. zuri reed is playing tasha and lizette Oliveira is playing jess morales wheel of time had a panel i guess that i was not available there i don't know what happened on the panel except that wheel of time was renewed for a third season uh i am i am not familiar with what wheel of time is based on and that is fantasy novels by robert jordan uh and we have the it says the season three okay that's kind of confusing to me because i haven't read it the showrunner Rafe Judkins said season three would follow book four which was titled the shadow rising and he said that's always been his favorite in the series again i haven't actually read any of the wheel of time book series by robert jordan um, but i really liked the first season with one or two minor exception points of exception um and i'm looking forward to more There was another Rings of Power Comic-Con trailer, or I guess I should say another trailer release for Comic-Con. It had some things we've already seen, uh, some characters in new places and positions and outfits, and the creation of a Balrog, which was wild. Also, Sauron. Uh, So pull up your boots, get excited. Sauron is making an appearance. I know people were bitching about how he looks, but, you know, magic and stuff. Like, come on, guys. (laughs) I, I continue to be most excited about this and uh you cannot make me feel different <laughs> now let's get into the bulk of the rest of the mcu updates we've already talked about what happens in the announced trailers now the future of content uh so phase four is what we are currently in i just keep thinking about Chip Zartsky's public domain series and how he's making fun of basically all of this and every time i say phase anything now i just think of that and i cringe a little bit if you know if you read public domain number one you know what i'm talking about if you did not read public domain number one do it um so yeah so the (laughs) the end of phase four is going to be the end of this year it's going to wrap up with uh she hulk which is premiering august over august september and then black panther wakanda forever which is obviously in november phase five schedule was officially released with updated dates and all of that so starting with Feb- february 17th 2023 we have ant-man and the wasp quantum mania february 2023 secret invasion will be on disney plus as well may 5th 2023 we have guardians volume 3 summer 2023 echo on disney plus also summer uh, L- loki season 2 on disney plus July 2023 we'll have the Marvels on November 3rd will be blade and then fall 2023 is Ironheart which will also be on Disney plus winter 2023 to 24 we have Agatha Coven of chaos which is a new title for the Agatha Harkness series that is also going to be on Disney plus. Uh, Another Disney Plus one coming after that will be in the spring of 2024, big announcement, Daredevil Born Again, which is going to be 18 episodes also on Disney Plus. I think this is another one that people are fantastically excited for, and honestly, for good reason. Then we have on May 3rd of 2024, Captain America 4 New World Order is going to be coming out, followed on July 25th of that year by a Thunderbolts movie. I think it was previously announced it might be a show, but it is in fact a movie. So that is the next two years, almost to the day, if we're talking July 25th, 2024, and I'm recording this on the 25th of 2022. Whenever you listen to this, it'll be just under two years uh, until we get to the end of phase five. Phase six, again, I'm giggling in my head about that Chip Zartsky comment. comment. Uh, we're going to have one, two, only three... Projects that have been announced for Phase Six so far. No doubt that's going to be filled in massively over the next uh, two plus years, and that is starting with November eighth, twenty twenty four. Fantastic Four will be premiering in theaters. Followed on May second, twenty twenty five, will be Avengers: The Kang Dynasty. Um, in case you're wondering where that comes from in comics, there is a 16 issue arc starting from Avengers Volume 2, Number 41. However, the original title, The Kang Dynasty, comes from Avengers issue 268. That's in the first series. Also, as of this, just this morning, it was announced that the King Dynasty Avengers movie will be directed by Daniel Cretton, the director of Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Finally, we're wrapping up Phase 6, November 7th, 2025, just about three years away, with Avengers Secret Wars. This is one that I think everybody has been rooting for, hearing announcements of, um, of events in general over the past, let's just say decade, let's even say two decades, Civil, uh, Civil, Secret Wars is easily a fan favorite, and again, who wrote it but that bitch Jonathan Hickman, who I love. That was a weird way of saying that, but I am enthusiastic and you should know, and that's the best I can do for telling you. Uh, so let's cover, now that we've covered what's happening in phase four, five, and six, as we know it right now, let's talk the announcements made on individual projects, starting with Quantum Mania. Uh, There's some really fun stuff here including the confirmation that Bill Murray is going to be in the movie We are still not sure who he's playing Um, I think there was a clip shown of him in the movie. I'm not entirely sure Um, But he is confirmed. He will be in quantum mania. I'm still hoping it's Scott Lang's dad (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Scott Lang's family his daughter Cassie We've known for a while that she is going to be showing up as her superhero self. We have for whatever reason and we all assumed that it was going to be Stature, but it is not based on artwork of uh, release for the movie. It is actually going to be Stinger who I believe is her first superhero persona. Uh, Stature is a black and red look. Stinger is a purple and red look and has a helmet instead of stature's mask uh so based on the design of her outfit purple and black with the mask that is definitely stinger i would like to know is she uh going to have wings on that stinger outfit we can see based on the picture that it looks like a pretty much exact combination of her father's ant-man suit and of hope van dyme's um uh i was gonna say ant woman wow that would suck wasp suit (laughs) um so maybe we'll include the wings in that kind of combination sense finally uh we are also aware that the character of yellow jacket will actually be returning to the ant-man movies as the villain Modoc. We know the yellow jacket persona has been worn by more than one person in the comics, but in the MCU it has been worn by Darren Cross, who is a uh actually apparently he's the cousin of Oh no, he's the cousin of Crossfire. I was just reading this little one line thing. The arch enemy of Scott Lang and the cousin of Crossfire. I don't even know who Crossfire is. But anyway, he was played by Corey Stoll in the first Ant-Man. He wasn't in the sick one, right? He must have been the second one. Yeah, whatever it was. I guess he was. Um, Corey stole. um, And there was like a really bad ending with with his character. Obviously, I think he died or something like that. Uh, But he is going to come back as MODOK. Uh, And I don't want to get this wrong, so I'm actually going to Google it really quick. Uh, MODOK stands for... um, well, really, I guess it could be a couple of things, but it's mechanized organism designed only for killing. Uh, if you have ever seen the big head with purple arms and legs in a yellow throne, that's MODOK. I personally hate his character design, um, but he's, like, fan favorite for various reasons. Um, but, but Yellowjacket is gonna end up being MODOK. What well, I wanna know, I, I cannot wait to see the Quantum Mania take on MODOK. What what would that even because modok's whole thing like his head grew so big because you know science and stuff but i'm just so curious how they're going to physically make him as modok work (laughs) uh we also knew we learned some stuff about what if season two is going to premiere in early 2023 and we already have season three confirmed so that's exciting a uh, secret invasion we learned that the arrival date is not going to be 2022 as for whatever reason many people had speculated but it is going to not be until spring of 2023 so easily nine months from now uh, for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we had a couple of things confirmed, like Adam Warlock, we kind of already knew that one. Uh, we learned Cosmo the dog will be voiced by Maria Bakalova, who is from Borat. And we learned that the High Evolutionary, will confirmed, the High Evolutionary is going to be played by Chukwudi Iwuji, which I hope I said somewhat correctly, and he showed up in full costume, which they have made purple, and I'm not sure why, because he's pretty much always worn red in the comics, so go figure. My guess is they don't want to confuse his look with the Guardian's look, which are going to be the blue and red look, at least for a portion of this movie, for a portion of the characters, because I did watch an absolute shit quality version of the trailer. It was a very short teaser. Um, uh, Basically, all I saw, you get... Guardians end up meeting with Gamora. Quill is like heart-wrenched about it. We're going to get some stuff about Baby Rocket. Uh we're going to get the blue and red suits from the comics and we're going to get Adam Warlock. We saw him very briefly and it looks like he has a weird skin tag on his forehead, not a crystal gem. So not sure why they went with quite small and tiny. Uh it looks like a weird zit type thing skin tag yeah it looks like yeah wart i don't know choose pick your weird word um i think this will be a fine movie i just have to add it does feel like james gunn has gotten way too cocky with his superhero movies specifically um and is no longer working to prove himself anymore he's just kind of riding the wave of what's worked so far Um, for X-Men 97, Spider-Man freshman year and Marvel zombies, we got some, uh, some smaller images of the concept art and whatnot. X-Men 97 is going to premiere in fall of 2023. So about a year from now. Um, Freshman year is going to premiere in 2024, so a year after that. And then it's also already renewed for season two, which is going to be called sophomore year. Uh, Also, the Marvel zombie show is going to be rated TVMA, so it will have lots of gore. Uh, And then we learned Blade will be coming November 2023, so just a little over a year from now. I believe at that point it will be four years since the movie was first announced. Um, And then Captain America 4, we already mentioned, will be titled New World Order, and it is coming in 2024. We're getting into the end of the Comic-Con content here, so hold on to your butts. Uh, Games! We have IGN exclusively revealed that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Cowabunga Collection, will be released August 30th for PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox One One and Series, Nintendo Switch, and PC. The Stack Collection will bring 13 classic Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games, including beloved staples such as Turtles in Time for the SN did I just make myself sound stupid? Is it SNES? I was not I was not raised on video games either. <laughs> Warner Brothers also shared more details about their upcoming Arkham spin-off game, Gotham Knights, including new gameplay trailer that focused on Batgirl. It said the development team also shared how the game will feel different depending on which character the player chooses, from different dialogue to combat to the very tone of the game. And the Joker will not be making any appearances. We also saw clips from Street Fighter VI and the Super Smash brothers esque Warner Brothers crossover game, Versus. Uh, there were some toys that were announced. I honestly uh, did not get as good of a list of them as I wanted. Uh, I do know there were some Star Wars Black Series, Mandalorian Season 2 figures, as well as uh, Transformers Generations Legacy 2 packs. Other things that were announced at the con, The Goon, which is a older comic, is getting a movie moving forward on Netflix. Uh, We had an announcement that the first full-length Avatar animated movie that will be coming is going to be about Avatar Aang and his friends as adults, which is exciting. We already talked about Berserker the comic with Keanu Reeves, but now we know that it is reconfirmed to also have a live-action and anime TV series in development at Netflix as well. Also in development is a Rick and Michonne love story TV series uh, for The Walking Dead, of which their all other projects have been scrapped. DC Comics confirmed there is no more Zack Snyder at the DCEU. Speaking at a Comic-Con panel executive, no not executive, Chief Creative Officer Jim Lee said that there are no further plans to expand on that material. And then finally, Uh, And not finally, Masters of the Universe Revolution was joined by William Shatner, who will be joining Mark Hamill, Chris Wood, Lena Headey in the presumed sequel to last year's Master of the Universe Revelation. Uh, The reason that it's presumed is because we know that... um, Uh, Kevin Smith will not be involved so it's kind of unsure if this is a light reboot or what. Speaking of William Shatner, he is 91, which explains his extremely distasteful comments during his own panel. Real old man yells at clouds type stuff. And now finally, uh, Transformers Earthspark. uh, the show's Comic-Con panel included its full voice cast, including Danny Pudi, Alan Tudyk, and Sydney Michaela, among others. As I mentioned before, the Eisners do take place at Comic-Con International San Diego. The Eisners are the premier award show for the comic book community. Uh, so I'm going to go through the categories and the winners, and if relevant... Uh, the Losers, who they beat out So, starting with best short story The winner was Funeral in Foam By Casey Gilley and Raina telignier in You Died, an anthology of The Afterlife coming from Iron Circus Comics. Best single Issue and one shot was uh, For obvious reasons, Wonder Woman Historia at the Amazons by Kelly Sue and Phil Jimenez uh, Didn't beat out Anything too interesting there Best continuing series was Bitter Root by David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, and Sanford Green, beating out Nightwing, Immortal Hulk, and The Department of Truth. Best limited series was The Good Asian by Pornsak Pishishot and Alexandra Tefengi. From Image Comics, they beat out Beta Ray Bill by Daniel Warren Johnson, The Many Deaths of Layla Starr by Rom V, and Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow by Tom King. Best New Series was Nice House on the Lake by James tinian who I don't like. Best Publication for Early Readers, eight, ages up to 8, was Chibi Usagi. Best Publication for Kids, ages 9 through 12, was Salt Magic by Hope Larson and Rebecca Mock. Best Publication for Teens, ages 13 through 17, was The Legend of Auntie Poe by Xing Ying Kor. And that beat out Adora and the Distance by Mark Bernardin, Strange Academy by Scotty Young, and Wind by James Tynion. Best humor publication was Not All Robots by Mark Russell and Mike Deodato Jr. from AWA Upshot. That is a really funny one. Uh, Let's see. Best anthology comes from You Died, an anthology of the afterlife, which was what that first best short story came from. Let's see. Best Reality-Based Work is The Black Panther Party, A Graphic History by David F. Walker and Marcus Kwame Anderson from 10 Speed Press. Best Graphic Memoir is Run, Book One by John Lewis, Andrew Aiden, L. Fury, and Nate Powell from Abrams Comics Arts. Best Graphic Album, New, is Monsters by Barry Windsor Smith from Fantagraphics, Best graphic album, Reprint, was The Complete American Gods by Neil Gaiman, P. Craig Russell, and Scott Hampton. This was Dark Horse nowadays. Best Adaption from Another Medium was George Orwell's 1984, uh, the graphic novel adapted by Fido Nesti from Mariner Books. Best U.S. edition of international material was The Shadow of Man by Benoit Peters, Francois Schwieten, I don't know how to say that, with a translation by Stephen D. Smith from IDW. The best U.S. edition of international material Asia was Lovesickness Junji Ito Story Collection by Junji Ito, translated by Jocelyn Allen. This comes from Viz Media, and they beat out Spy X Family. Best Archival Collection Slash Project in Comic Strips goes to Popeye the E.C. Seeger Sundays Volume One. Best Archival Collection Slash Project Comic Books at least 20 years old goes to E.C. Covers Artist Edition edited by Scott Dumbier. Best Writer goes to the unfortunate James Tynian. I really think they only gave that to him because he pumped out the most stuff, not the best quality of stuff. Best Writer Artist goes to Barry Windsor Smith of Monsters from Fantagraphics, Best Penciler, slash, uh, he beat out, um, notably in my opinion, Dan Warren Johnson, Best Inker slash Penciler or Inker Penciler team goes to Phil Jimenez of Wonder Woman Historia, The Amazons, who beat out Felipe Andrade of The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, Esad Ribic from Eternals, P. Craig Russell from North Mythology, and Philippe, uh, Bruno Redondo from Nightwing. Best Painter slash Multimedia Artist goes very happily to Sana Takeda from Monstrous. Best Cover Artist goes to Jen Bartel for Future State Immortal Wonder Woman 1 and 2, Wonder Woman Black and Gold number no. 1, Wonder Woman 80th Anniversary, and Women's History Month variant covers for Marvel. She beats out David Mack, Bruno Redondo, Alex Ross, Julian Tortino Tedesco, and Yoshi Yoshitani, which is an amazing list of creators that have beaten out. Best coloring goes to Matt Wilson. Uh, the list includes Terry Dodson and Felipe Andrade. Best lettering goes to Barry Windsor Smith, which beats out Clayton Cowles, who is pretty much the only one who's ever won that. Best comics-related periodical and journalism goes to womenwriteaboutcomics.com, which is a fantastic website, and edited by Wendy Brown and Nola Fow. Best comics-related book goes to All of the Marvels by Douglas Wolk, Douglas Wolk, he beats out True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stanley by Abraham Reisman, which I have talked about in length on this podcast in the past. Best Academic Scholarly Work goes to Comics and the Origins of Manga, A Revisionist History. Best Publication Design goes to Marvel Comics Library, Spider-Man, Volume 1. Best Webcomic goes to Lore Olympus. And Best Digital Comic goes to Snow Angels by Jeff Lemire from Comixology. The last thing that we're going over on this very extended podcast episode is some highlights for the October Big Two solicitations. You will find the link for the entire list of October solicitations for Marvel and DC Comics linked in the description of this podcast episode uh but if you'd like to know some of the things that i'm looking forward to most uh for marvel we obviously have a new issue of captain marvel coming up which is out of a new arc uh we have some Halloween stuff happening, Crypt of the Shadows, Bloodstone and the Legion of Monsters gets a new Trenting and Trade Paperback, Midnight Suns, Exterminators, Strange, She Hulk, and the variants all continue. New things for the month include Wakanda by Stephanie Williams, which is gonna be a five-issue series, a five-issue of Namor by Christopher Cantwell, and then they're picking back up on Miracle Man, as well as a new High Republic series. Now, we're continuing with Axe at Marvel as well, which is, you know, mediocre. Over at DC, October brings us issue three of three, unfortunately, of Wonder Woman Historia The Amazons by Kelly DeConnick. This, this issue will be written, or sorry, drawn by Nicholas Scott. We also continue with Poison Ivy, um, Deceased War of the Undead Gods, Batman Beyond the White Knight. Harley Quinn, Human Target, the new champion of Shazam. And then we have some Halloween stuff, Legion of Bats, Terrors Through Time. Um, the Punchline series begins, as well as a new uh, Riddler series by Paul Dano. And a Joker one-shot, a, ooh, a Renee Montoya series um a new gotham city year one series by tom king this is a lot of Owen oh, mad magazine's 70th anniversary so that's a little bit of uh highlights of things to expect from big two comics in october as i mentioned the rest of that will be linked in the description if you'd like to see the full list of october comic book solicitations from marvel and dc comics Thank you for listening to today's episode. I very much appreciate any amount of content you were able to listen to. If you'd like to support the podcast, um, you can do so financially and through means of donation or purchasing merch. Or you can just simply listen to the podcast, share the podcast with people you think will like it, share it on social media. Um, and rate it. If you rate it, then um, it will be promoted on whatever app you are listening to it on. So the next episode is going to be the 1st of August, which is pretty exciting. The year is zooming right along. Um, that is actually August Eve. Uh, well, the day after August Eve, I guess, technically. Um, so we're getting, uh, we're we're pummeling through summer here. Make sure you continue to stay well hydrated as the heat wave continues across the globe. As I mentioned in the beginning, there are a lot of comic conventions, con- comic conventions going on uh, this year. We're finally back in the full swing of things, uh, so you can find a list of major. Uh, and mid-comic conventions in my uh, description as well if you would like to see where you might be able to find some local conventions. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Uh, Don't be an asshole and uh, keep it sweaty.